Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today, I have with me artist Kim Case. Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Kim, you have been all over uh, New England, I believe, but also to other parts of the country. You spend some time out on the West Coast. and You're back here now. Why Maine? Uh, Maine is the best. We had, um, my husband went to College of the Atlantic, and uh, that was kind of our anchor. Also, my parents happened to live in Cape Elizabeth, so uh, that brought us north to spend some time with them. But you originally grew up away from the coast. You now live in Cape Elizabeth near the coast, but you originally grew up in the mountains. That's right. New Hampshire, central New Hampshire, Moultonborough, Center Harbor, Sandwich area. Um, Do you miss the mountains? Well, we were fortunate enough last year we purchased a home up there, so in Tamworth. Um, so we've been spending a lot more time up there. So you get the best of both worlds, it sounds we're like. We're trying. <laughs> we're trying, yep. And it's great to introduce my son to a lot more of the hiking and what the whites have to offer instead of the, just, the ocean, just the ocean. But yeah. <laughs> just that beautiful thing that, right. that most of us <laughs> enjoy as we, you know, go up and down on our drives or, yeah, yep. yeah. Tell me about your son. How does he like living in Cape Elizabeth? Uh, loves it. He loves the school system. He's right now, he's a soccer player. So that's a new thing for me as a mom being introduced to travel sports, <laughs> traveling around, making a team meetings, things like that. It's a whole other aspect of being a parent. I had kind of hadn't seen coming, but keeps you busy. Yeah. Even at the age of 10, that can be a little intense. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots going on all the time with they keep things organized. Right. Yeah. I think I remember, um, as you and I were talking before, all of my children are older now. And so this is a little bit in my rear view mirror. But I think I remember when I first hit the childhood team sports era, I was thinking, but they're just little. Like, <laughs> this is a lot of effort to keep things organized around them, you know, so that we can then go stand on the sidelines and uh, watch them for hours while we're wearing our, you know, heavy sweaters. And right. you know, it's October and we have gloves on already. Oh, it's it's. It's really funny. That's so true. You're and you're committed though. You sign the, you know, you sign up, you got to show up. And uh, otherwise it's kind of not a great message for the kids if you're not going to be there as often as you can. But um no, I the standing on the sidelines hilarious. We've all got our chairs and now they make the chairs with the little hoods over so that you can escape from the sun or the rain and I've seen people with plastic. It's like a little tent that they set up <laughs> next to a soccer game to enjoy it. But yeah, people get into it. Yeah, I, I guess I, I I missed that whole era. I never I never had a. I mean, we barely had chairs at that you point. You guys were roughing it. <laughs> we definitely we were. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it would have been really nice to have like something to hold the rain off instead of just an umbrella. And yeah, so how do you balance the um, the full time parenting, being an artist? Uh, how do you balance that? Oh man. Um. It was a lot tougher pre-pandemic when my husband was traveling. And then I really needed to be a stay-at-home mom and, and stay in paint while he was in school. Um, pandemic came. Then it shifted and became something different with his having to do remote learning. We chose to be remote learners. Um, and so that was essentially, do you're given instruction 
in the morning, and then it's up to you as a parent to make sure that the, the actual schooling happens. So I learned a lot of math. <laughs> I learned the new way to learn math, which I had no idea they were teaching. Um, and um, and things shifted. I I have a studio at the house, a small, um, used to be a pool house. My husband tra- transformed it into a little studio space. And I couldn't really work out there anymore because I needed to be inside watching what was happening before things would get out of hand. Otherwise, things would get really off track. Um, so we created a schoolroom out of my studio, and, and one half would be my would, was where my son worked, and the other half is where I worked. And that shifted again things too for me because I normally work in oil paints, which is what this one is in, and um, I had to switch that up and become. And I didn't want him breathing this, the same fumes that I've kind of said, okay, I'm doing this. Um, I had an air purifier in the, in the room, but even so, you could, when you come in, you can smell it's an artist's space. There's chemicals in the air. So I switched to acrylics, which are much more mild. You still don't want to eat them, but they're not as, they don't have the same kind of level of fumes. And with that, I had to try something else because I found I wasn't able to paint the same um, subject matter as I um, do in oils. It just wasn't coming easily. And I was fighting the materials too much. Acrylics dry much faster. You have to work quicker. Um, so that I'd always been interested in doing some abstracts. And that, so that led to um, a different series down the line as I adapted or tried to adapt to the times. Now I'm, he's back in school and I can begin oil painting again. That's really interesting because those of us who don't spend time painting wouldn't necessarily think that that difference between the drying time of a paint would make such, um, would challenge you in ways that you're describing. Yeah, yeah. So an oil painting like this one has multiple layers. There's the sketch underneath. There's the, um, they call it a grisaille, which is a, a, a tonal painting underneath. And then you're adding layers to create different layers of, um, or different effects of luminosity. Um, so where I want to keep things bright, I don't have uh, so much underpainting underneath. I keep, um, whereas over here, I might have laid on the underpainting a lot thicker. With the acrylics, um, the paint is not, doesn't have the same, uh, acrylics actually are much, can be much, um, they're more opaque. I'm going to get myself into trouble here because I'm no professional, no uh, expert on them. Um, but the, they're much more opaque. So what you lay down is what you get. And I had a really hard time kind of picturing how that would work where I'm so used to the multiple layers. And I would try to work with um, doing that, but um, then the paints would dry and much more quickly before I had a chance to, you know, work in the extra layer that I was going to do somewhere. It was, it was a fight. <laughs> so I was like, this isn't going to work. I need to rethink this. How am I going to work with these? Um, people do it all the time, but I wasn't able to make it work smoothly. So, Looking at this piece that you did, I can see now that you're describing this. Sorry, Kevin. <clears throat> I'm going to give him time to cut that out of the... Looking at this piece that you did, um, I can see the... Different kind of 
the almost the dappling of light underneath the trees and the different uh, gradations of of tone that you're describing on the tree trunks. And I can see that that would be challenging if you had in your mind how you were going to set that up and then we're trying to use a completely different type of paint to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, when you are... Um um, when you're an artist and you have, essentially for me, creating art is you have an image, a vision of what you want to communicate. And um, the longer you work at it and become more familiar with your tools, the more quickly you can communicate what you're trying to get to and uh, the more successful a communicator you can become. But if you're trying new, different materials, um, you have to have a lot of respect for that new material and take into account you need to learn it. I was like, I used to be a photographer. That's how I first started out in art. But And every time I had a new camera, I couldn't just assume that I could show up at a gig with the new camera and expect it to work for me. I had to really study it, learn it, understand its quirks. Um, otherwise everything would come out a mess. You need to, you have to have respect for your tools. And, um, so as when I decided to become an oil painter, I really had to learn that process, learn that, um, learn those tools. And then again, when I became an, I started doing acrylics, I had to um, dig right in and, and learn something brand new. Which of course wasn't really anticipated. It wasn't planned no. at all. <laughs> no, not for anybody. I don't think. Yeah. Did you take any lessons away from the acrylics that you are now using as you come back to oils? A deep appreciation <laughs> for those who use acrylics regularly. Um, and um, I miss some of the freedom of it. Uh, it's just, it's paint and water. It's a lot like simple watercolors. Um and uh, you don't generally have to do so much underpainting, but um, yeah, I definitely appreciation for those who can work with it easily. Talk to me about this, the subject matter in this in this piece right here. Um, so this is right below the White Mountains. Um, this is probably Mount Pasacanaway, Shikarawa. Uh, it's probably off this way. Um, this is a hillside farm that I drive by on my way to a cottage that my husband and I have up in Tamworth. And I've just always loved, loved it. Um, my grandfather grew up coming to this area uh, as a little boy from Philadelphia. And he, one of his mentors in college was the man who lived at this farm. And, uh, so there's always there's a little connection there. Actually, I've never been in the farm. It's owned, of course, by some other family now. But um, yeah, it just has a special spot in my heart for for that family connection and being able to drive by the whites, which I love so much. Yeah. So when you're describing which mountain this might be, it's interesting to me because for me, it's like when we go out on Casco Bay. All the, for some people, all the islands look the same. Yeah. But but for us, of course, and I know that you live near Casco Bay also, mm -hmm. one island is not the same as another island. It's not the same as another island. Mm -hmm. When you look at 
this mountain and this painting, does it make you think of the hikes that you either take now with your son and your husband or that you used to take before? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I took some liberal, uh, some, what's the word, liberal? Goodness. Thank you. I took some liberties with the mountains. Um, so I'm not sure that anybody would come along and recognize them. But for me, it has a definite recognition value. Um, and yes, absolutely. Driving through, you know, the first time we see Shikarawa coming from Maine, um, there's a contest in the car to see who sees it first. And then, then we make a big shout out, you know, like, Shikarawa! <laughs> As we come and he kind of win five points. <laughs> Did you happen to have any sadness when the when the face fell off the the old man in the mountain? <laughs> right. Yeah. That was. I well, I was living in Oregon at the time, Portland, Oregon. The, I was living in the other Portland, and um, I heard about that. And oh man, that was really sad. Have they tried to fix it? I don't even know. Have they tried to put I would, it back up? I would guess not. I don't know how you put a. I don't know how you put rocks on a rock face. I thought there was some talk about trying to. I don't know. Manufacture it back into place, but. Yeah. Well, now you and I will leave this conversation and <laughs> go we'll look, look it, it up <laughs> and see if they put the face back on That's the man right. of the mountain. We'll Google it. Right. I, I think that the when I look at this, it, it it's the swing that really um, speaks to me. Oh yeah. And you know this idea of uh, a beautiful day sitting on the swing, just being a kid again, mm-hmm. kind of free, looking at uh, what's around you and. Not being, um, not needing to be anywhere. Mm. Just, do you find that when people look at your pieces, that they will come to you with stories of their own lives? Um, I think for sure, people are drawn to things that echo have echo for them, um, and that's actually what keeps me painting is the stories that I make up in my head. Um, I studied journalism at school, and uh, which took me into photojournalism. But uh, yeah, always interested in people's stories. And when I make paintings, a lot of the ones that interest me the most and the ones that seem to move quickest are the ones where you just have a feeling like somebody's about to turn off a light in the window or that um, someone's just walked along the path or maybe they just left the swing um, or maybe they didn't just leave the swing and the swing has been quiet for a few years as the child's gone. Um, so yeah, I'm full of stories <laughs> like that. I think of things as they go and they kind of keep me engaged in the painting because painting is such a, uh, especially in oils and paintings this size can be such a long process that you come up with all sorts of things that, that keep you engaged in, in the piece. Well, it's interesting that you would say that because um, I hadn't really considered that before, but but when you paint, you really have to be intensely focused on something for some prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's not easy for everyone. No, and, and I found talking to different people that it's, and I'm sure you've heard many different people talk about their process, and um, I have friends who listen to nothing. You know, I've talked to people who watch TV while they work, which I can't imagine because I'm too making up, busy making up a story with my own painting. <laughs> I can't involve that. I listen to music 
generally to keep me going. Sometimes a book on tape if it's um, getting really dry and nothing is kind of, and then I actually know that that painting isn't going to be very good because I'm distracted um, or and want to be distracted from it. So then it's like, uh, no, that's funny. I just realized that right now. <laughs> that's a really interesting, interesting point. I really just realized that, that if I'm listening to a book on tape and or wanting a story as I'm working, the painting probably isn't one that I'm that engaged in. And I'm probably better off just letting it go until I find one that I'm just happy working on for itself. So the next time you're at an opening and somebody wants to talk to you about your painting, I hope they don't ask you, was this one that you were listening to a book on tape during? <laughs> That's right. Then I'm in trouble. That's right. Well, and of course, there's no hard and fast rules. I'm sure there's flexibility within that, but yeah, generally. <laughs> so how did you, when did you realize, I guess, when you were growing up in New Hampshire that you were attracted to journalism, the visual arts, that you wanted to actually make a life of this? Um, um, I, re I have a really strong memory of my mother encouraging me to draw, of um, being successful at that. Um, I remember they took us, we lived in central New Hampshire, but um, the one weekend they took us uh, to Camden for one of those sailing overnight trips. And I was drawing as fast as I could all the sailboats I was seeing and all the, the sailor doing work. And um, one of the um, crew of the sailboat that we were on wanted to buy some of my drawings. And I was maybe, I don't know, 12 or something. And I had no idea that people actually could sell <laughs> their work or, you know, if you weren't Monet or, um, and uh, it, it just kind of it just kind of clicked from there that this was something that, oh, maybe there's something here I need to take a closer look at. When you worked as a journalist and then also as a photographer, there were, you did a lot of commercial work and, and you did a little bit of wedding photography, I believe. Yes, very much. Yeah, I was a wedding photographer for five or six years. I was, I had a studio on Newbury Street in Boston um, and I loved it. It was a ton of fun. I got to travel quite a bit, um, meet, met amazing people. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. I, I love pretty things. I love pretty flowers. I love, I love the whole, you know, being part of somebody's falling in love story. Um, back then we see it everywhere now, but back then there were very few photographers who were doing photojournalism applying that to their work and um i was one of the first few folks who was selling that as my my genre and um it really resonated with people because it was all about the story again the story what is um the story of the wedding how what the flow of it how it um who are the characters involved um and then create at the end i would create this book that would be this beautiful magical book of the photographs of them looking their absolute most amazing um with all the people that they loved most in the world i mean who wouldn't want to be part of that right it was just astounding and then to be paid really well to do it and get to travel to gorgeous places and i got to know the cape cod really well <laughs> 
So, yeah, I loved it. Um, eventually, when I got married, it became a really hard challenge. Um, and it takes a ton of energy to, be, to show up and be your best and have all your equipment working perfectly. And, and at some point, I realized I'd had enough um, of that kind of life and was ready for something new. And so eventually, I went into um, art and publishing from there. So tell me about that epic of your life, I guess, the, the magazine piece and, and, and how you applied your skills in that setting. Um, so there was a transition point between uh, being a wedding photographer. I was, I was living in Portsmouth, wasn't sure quite what was next. I knew I loved art. I knew I loved photography. And I had a vision of opening a photography gallery where most of the work would be photographs. Unfortunately, my timing was really bad, and we had that tech bubble that burst, and the market was really struggling. But um, I was able to, I, was, I found I wasn't able to sell the photog- all the photography of all my friends' work that I was hoping to move along, and my own work as a photographer um, wasn't selling so much, but art was selling, paintings and um, Drawings. People were still investing in that. So that the the gallery I had um, was called the Case Gallery on Market Street in Portsmouth. Had uh, lots of art, and that was my first real ex- dip toe dip into the art um, business, the art world again. Um, uh, so I plugged away at that for about almost two years, um, but I was not a retail person, having. Um, I, it just was, that takes a certain kind of mindset, and that was just not me. Um, so someone walked in, offered to buy it, and I couldn't resist. I, it seemed like the answer to a lot of things. And then almost within the same week, someone introduced me to um, the new publisher at Accent Magazine in New Hampshire, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And she was looking for someone to take over running her magazine as editor. And I, it started as a relationship and a conversation. I thought maybe I would just come in and help her on some, I don't know, the creative side. And, um, but she liked what I had to offer and she liked that I had a lot of contacts in the community and, um, I had a lot of energy and was really interested in working with it and exploring this new field for me. And she said, you want to run this thing? And I said, let's do it. And so we started off and I had a blast. It was really, um, it was great people. It was a lot of getting to know the entire state of New Hampshire, getting to know the seacoast. And uh, yeah, it, yeah. I'm not sure what else to say about that. <laughs> it was great. So how did you get from there to then doing what seems to be a much more solo pursuit? Um, that was a more practical experience. Um, when we moved up to New Hampshire, I'm sorry, when we moved up to Cape Elizabeth, um, I we went um, primarily to be closer to my parents who were having major health problems. And... At the time, they're fine now or they're better. But at the time, it was looking kind of iffy and like they might need a lot more support. Um, So when we moved into Cape, I thought I would continue in publishing in some form. 
But uh, my husband's career at that point was really taking off and requiring a lot of travel. He works for a software company out of California. And um, he had been amazing and had built for me many studios. He had built for me the gallery. Um, It was time for me to slow it down and let him fly. Um, So I decided I was going to work on my art and see where that led me, Um, work on being a mom, see where that led us, (laughs) and um, yeah, uh, commit to that for a while. So, and it actually has been wonderful. It's felt um, really like fortunate that we're able to support each other this way, that it's worked out so well that he's able to do what he needs to do for his work, and I'm able to actually stay at home and work on my art and raise my child at the same time. It's been a real blessing. Do you miss this other aspect of your profession that is more kind of outward facing and um, connecting with the community and having lots of conversations? I mean, what you're describing is kind of the extrovert's dream, I think. (laughs) And and then you moved into what probably is more of an introvert's dream, I would guess. Yeah. Well, all of that is absolutely true. Um, yeah, the community, the the, con- the constant conversations, the excitement of uh, getting a publication out the door in time, very intense, very exciting. Um, and, you know, when you're sitting alone and it's just, just you trying to make that one painting come to life, that's a whole nother um, experience. But I actually have found a more introverted side of myself. It's almost, it's almost now a push for me to get in the car and go to the gallery opening because I need to be there to, you know, to support other artists and to put my face forward. But it's like, it's like, oh, I'm more of an introvert than I thought I was uh, in some ways. So, but yes, I definitely miss uh, the conversations and the engagement. I've, when I came to um, Cape, I, I took on what was pretty much a volunteer role as being publisher for the local newspaper there, um, the Cape Courier. Um, and I'm still on the board, but so that kind of keeps me a little bit of what's what's going on and um, keeps me a little bit engaged, but it's not the same kind of huge um, push. So would you consider yourself to be more by nature extroverted or introverted? I, I think more of an introvert. I'm very happy spending time alone. I'm very happy um, thinking and working on things and hyper-focused on what's in front of me. I don't um, necessarily need other folks' input or energy around me to kind of keep me going through the day, which I understand is what an extrovert is about. Um, And I actually, I'm more than a phone call with a friend, more than keeps me going. (laughs) And a party, if I go to a party, I'll have a good time, and then I'll want to sleep for a week. (laughs) So, yeah, it's pretty... I think that has worked with the work that I do. Um, I'm not sure how an extrovert could really survive all the intensity of being alone uh, day after day working on painting, but I'm sure there are plenty of folks who do that well. Well, the reason I ask this is I I think that um, there was a book that was published within, I don't know, the last 10 years, something like that, that was about introverts. And I think a lot of, and I consider myself to be an introvert by nature, an extrovert, probably by training. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think a lot of us felt validation with this particular book that was written about being an introvert. And I think a lot more people are accepting that this is a thing, that being quiet with your own self is really okay. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just who you are, and that's fine. Um, But what I've been fascinated by just in my own life and my own trajectory is, is that I actually do get joy from both, exactly as you've described. There's a certain amount that, you know, I really enjoy talking to people. And in my job, I've kind of trained myself to do that better. But I'm also perfectly happy to be completely by myself for hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's one of the things that maybe gets left out of the conversation is that you, you can go through phases in your life where one is more than the other. You can train yourself to be a little bit more one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you say about the stages of life is really true as well. Because as a younger person, when I think we're just set up hormonally, energetically to be constantly searching uh, for your community, for your partner. And so spending time alone kind of creates that anxiety feeling like I should be out there uh, engaging. But as we got older and those things become more settled, those questions become answered. I think who we really are as people emerges more. It's my guess uh, with maturity. Very well said. Yeah. Well, and I do think that that's something that many people struggle with over time, right? Is who we actually, what's, what's the core and elemental nature of our, of ourselves? Mm. And is it something that we had when we were younger and somehow kind of paint over and then have to sand away to get back to when we're older? Mm -hmm. Is it kind of pieces of a puzzle that start to fit together in some way? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I enjoy talking with people who have gone through a process like you have, because you've, you obviously started when you were 12 with this sense that, okay, I I like this, this draws me in and also other people value it. Mm -hmm. And then you've kind of had a a curving path that's led you back to that 12 year old self. Yeah. It's amazing how many artists I've talked to and met who have who almost all of them have some point early on where they were had an aha moment, you know, and that's not just artists, right? It's many people who kind of, oh yeah, they kind of had this little window into what calls to them um, down the road. Um, yeah, and it is amazing what kind of life trajectory kind of can can lead you. <laughs> Sometimes in the direction you think it will, and other times you end up in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> well, how did you end up exactly in Portland, Oregon? Oh, that was uh, there was a boy involved. <laughs> um, I was actually in Washington D.C. I was working for a magazine, um, doing photojournalism for them, and I, um, but missing my college boyfriend. He called up and he said, um, "I want to come out." And it's great out here. I had um, I'd been offered a full time position at the magazine at that time. I'd been working as an intern, but I couldn't I couldn't even begin to pay for an apartment on what um, you know you would get for a photojournalism job. Um, yeah, so uh, this sounded pretty interesting. So I headed on out there. It's funny how many stories begin with, there was a boy, or there was a girl. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's not an uncommon thing to hear. <laughs> no. Well, it's one of the most powerful, um, as a young person, one of the most powerful polls, right? That we're, in, we're looking for that partner. We're looking for that place in our world, and who, who are we going to make that place with? And yet you did not end up with this college boyfriend. 
No, um, he was a true wild spirit. He was, um, I met him when I was working for the Appalachian Mountain Club up in New Hampshire. Um, and I loved hiking, but I learned to really love hiking with him. He was just fearless and would get up at the crack of dawn and hike all day, every day if he could. Um, and so he wanted to experience bigger mountains, bigger vistas out in Oregon um, after the whites. And uh, so we had a ton of fun exploring the wilderness out there. Um, but that wasn't meant to be. He, um, Well, I wasn't making any money as in trying to find work as a photojournalist in Portland, Oregon. Um, I actually found it a really intensely um, uh, male-dominated world um, that I was having to fight a lot. So I took on a job at Fidelity Investments in finance, of all things, and uh, was making my way up through finance, and that was the antithesis of what this boy was interested in. <laughs> but I needed to put a roof over my head. And um, so, yeah, he went the other way, and I eventually met... Um, my husband. Well, that was what I was going to get to next, is you didn't end up with one boy, but you ended up, and I'll say man, because I assume this is <laughs> at the case, but yeah. you ended up somehow with this other man, the man that you were meant to be with, apparently. Yeah. So my uh, my boyfriend at the time was very good friends um, with a man who was on the East Coast. And when the boyfriend left, I stayed friends with this this man, um, Mike, and he introduced me to the man who would become my husband back on the East Coast. Um, and yeah, so I got to keep the friend and met my husband in the process. <laughs> and, and the first boyfriend not only gave you all these great experiences, but somehow led you to the person that you would end up having future life with. That's right. That's right. It's funny how if I hadn't been out there, I would never have seen the picture of my husband, Tim, on the refrigerator of this friend's house. And I said, oh, who's that? And something literally, I shivered when I saw that. And I said, who is that? And uh, he said, oh, that's my friend, Tim. You don't want to meet him. <laughs> and I said, really? Why not? He's like, oh, because then you'll fall in love and then you'll break up and then I'll lose you both as a friend. So no, you can't meet him. <laughs> I said, what? And uh, But he was serious. Um until I, so eventually I ended up moving back. Um, my company moved me to back to Boston and, uh, um, maybe a month after I returned, Mike was out there on a business trip and, uh, Tim was giving him a ride to the airport and they said, Hey, you want to have lunch? I said, really? You want me to meet your friend? And he said, <laughs> he said, Oh yeah, sure. It'll be fine. And man, it, we really hit it off and spent every weekend together for a year after that. And, so. so there's a kind of a set of, there's like a theme here, this, this unavoidability of something that's meant to happen. Yeah. I mean, not only for you as an artist, but also for you in finding this very special person in your life. Absolutely. Oh, there's a definite river of fate running through life that I'm sure it just, it's almost, it's like magnet pulls in different directions. And to fight the magnet is, it feels uh, disruptive, and I, I feel like we almost kind of bounce from um, pole to pole on, on this as we go through life, and in big ways and small. Yeah. Are there other big ways that that you can think of in your own life? 
Um, nothing's really coming to mind, but you certainly know them when you hit them, right? Um, uh, naming my son Finn. I had no idea where that name came from. We'd been talking about other names, but uh, I, when I was uh, in labor, the name just came coming, kept coming to me. This is, and I finally had to write it out just to be sure. And that was it. It was, I said, I'm sorry, honey. I know you don't like the name so much, but <laughs> this is it. This is what he wants to be called. And uh, he, he got on board eventually. But it is a little weird having Kim, Tim, and Finn in your family <laughs> dynamic. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't really even thought about <laughs> I that. Know, right? Well, actually, it was um, really funny because I did get to meet Barack Obama at one point before he became president. And um, uh, Tim was with me, and, and he said, ah, uh, Kim and Tim, very cute. <laughs> yep. Well, at least you, I guess you uh, mixed it up a little bit by naming him Finn with an N. If yes. you had named him something with an M, then Jim. that... Yeah, that would have been bad. <laughs> Definitely bad. <laughs> so, so thank you for that that small amount of right. um, distraction, I guess, That's from, right. from the, the theme. And technically it's Finnegan, so... Okay, okay, yeah. all right. So that's good. So you did. You moved off. You moved off um, oils to acrylics for just long enough so that you can with, <laughs> with your child. That's right. And his naming. Um, when you look at Finnegan, and by the way, that's my nephew's name. So also okay. an interesting yeah. coincidence. Mm-hmm. And it's not a terribly normal name. Uh, not normal, but usual name. Let's say it's a very normal name. Yep. To be clear, and if you're watching this, very normal <laughs> name. You have a great name. But um, when you see him as a 10-year-old, do you ever wonder what his pull will be, what his kind of thing that he will encounter that just becomes something he'll maybe stick with, maybe come back to? Um, Absolutely. All the time, you know, as you watch them move from thing to thing. Early on, it's very predictable, right? It's it's first it's trains. No, first it's dinosaurs, then it's trains, <laughs> and then it's Legos. And we're still in the Legos phase, um, and we're slowly moving into. Well, not so slowly. We moved into Minecraft last year. So these things are these steps so far are pretty um, pretty standard. So I haven't been shown. He hasn't shown me yet what that um, thing is that is going to pull him. Um, into his passion. I'm going to, well, it's going to be very interesting to see where that direction comes. Yeah. Well, we happen to be recording this on my son's birthday. Oh, great. Which is October 1st. Obviously, this will air far in the future, but it, it does make me think of him. He's older than Finn by a fair margin, but it does make me think of when he was younger and the things that I would see in him that I would wonder. Because, you know, as a parent, you're always thinking, oh, you want to do soccer? Let's do soccer. You know, you you want to you want to draw? Okay, let's be an artist. So you always want to open every door for them, but you don't really know which door they're going to enter, which door they're going to enter right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so especially having three older children, um, kind of seeing where they're coming back to is a really very fascinating process. Oh, it must be. It must be so cool to look back and, and be able to have that trajectory. Um, and the story is not finished, right? It, there's, there's more to come, more families and to engage and who is going to be their partners and all of that and what their children are going to be. Um, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, Oh, I had a story. I kind of lost it. But uh, 
yes, you make a very good point for sure. Oh, I wish I could gr- grab that story and like pull it out of you because oh. I'm sure it's such a good one. Yes, what you're talking about in that children revealing to themselves, revealing themselves, uh, is really resonates. And also, one of the things I'm learning at 10 years into the process is not to over encourage. You know, that he'll show a little interest in something. And I used to be like, here are five new Lego sets of that kind of thing that you're now interested in. Or here's, oh, you're interested in the kind of math. Well, let's do that all night long. (laughs) And what I'm discovering is that if I create a little bit of resistance to that, it becomes, or if I let the resistance to learning that's already there just be, he will walk through the door and enjoy that process so much more than if I presented it to him and gave him what he will, what it, what I can already see he will get to. But if he discovers that himself, um, I, so much the better. Yeah, that even I, thinking about that as a child, my my dad was very indifferent to my art, and my mom was slightly encouraging, but they sure didn't make it easy for me when I just, when it came to choosing a college, and. I had to fight to get to this art school and to make that worthwhile. And now it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life was finding a really good art school that did both. I attended the museum school in Boston with their joint program with Tufts University and finding something that both satisfied my parents' um, desire for me to have a liberal arts degree and got me into art school where I really wanted to be and knew that I would be most at home, that even to this day is a source of pride because I sure weren't putting up with it before. <laughs> so note to all parents, try not to make things too easy for your children because it's not going to get you what you think it's going to get you. And this comes from Kim Case. <laughs> That's right. The professional. The professional. <laughs> the pro exactly. parenting. Yes. With a one year old <laughs> Well, I, I think uh, what you're describing is not that different than the idea that if you have a if you have a boyfriend and your parents don't like them, they should never say, "I really don't like your boyfriend," because that means that you will like that boyfriend <laughs> forever and ever. My parents never said anything about any of my boyfriends, and I would make choices that made the most sense for me. Mm-hmm. So I think that what you're saying lines up probably with a lot of people's oh, sure. life experiences. Yeah, there's a, a not only just is it this discovery, but there's also the aspect of we're built to resist our parents eventually, right? We in order to launch, right? I think um, Young was uh, talked a lot about that how you have to kill your kill your mother, you know, essentially to get uh, yourself born into the world past that desire. So a lot of teenagers we spend all so much time. It feels like a waste of time, you know, all the fighting we do with our parents. But eventually, um, it's all in the aid of of figuring out, as you were just talking about, who we are. Who the heck are you? And if if a big part of that is, well, I know I am not my parents. So right, I'm I'm they are older people. I am a young person. I know I'm not them. So how do I figure out who I am? And that first thing initial is to is to push against that. I think. Well, I have learned a lot from our conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, my and pleasure. I really, um, I enjoy your work is wonderful. Thank you, and, Lisa. Uh, it's been interesting to talk to you as a non-painter about the difference between 
oil and acrylics, just for example. Yeah. I think a lot of people who uh, listen to the podcast aren't artists themselves and to know, oh, that is interesting. You have to have, you know, a, a synergy with your tools or else you're not going to be able to succeed. Um, but people who are interested in seeing your work can go to the Portland Art Gallery, which I encourage them to do. And Kim has said that she goes to the art openings, so this will be her extrovert side. I, I encourage you to go visit with Kim at the art openings at the Portland Art Gallery. No pressure to Kim. Now she's going to have to show up. <laughs> no, I have to go. At every single Happily. one for the rest of her life. But that is where you will see artist Kim Case is at the Portland Art Gallery, either in her um, painting form or her human form. I encourage you to spend some time getting to know her. Either way, she is delightful. Um, it's been my pleasure to talk with you today. Oh, mine too. Thank you, Lisa.